one guy, one gal, one actor, and one year. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Kevin, Kevin Costner, Costner Project. Project. like a long time since we've watched a movie correct we took a week off right exactly so we could modify our rating scale by now you've all heard that episode if you're going to listen to it and we're back on track it is december time for about 50 different winter holidays to start kicking <laughs> off i think we started it off in the most christmassy way possible the gift of the untouchables <laughs> so we did watch this oscar winning film correct and who won the oscar for this here's a hint it was not kevin costner <laughs> i think he was nominated i'm not a hundred percent but before we get into that let's talk a little bit about the basics of the movie sure as we like to do well kate uh, of course the untouchables it's rated r and it came out in 1987. It's a thriller slash crime. And it runs about an hour and 59 minutes. The IMDb rating is 7.8 out of 10. And the Rotten Tomatoes is an 83%. Kevin plays Elliot Ness, who was a U.S. Treasury Department agent who was on the prowl to get his hands on Al Capone. It starred an extremely young Andy Garcia and Sean Connery and Patricia Clarkson. I want to mention her because as we watched the credits as we started the film, it was all men. Correct. Yeah, it didn't mention any of the women in it. And then all of a sudden, Patricia Clarkson shows up looking like a million dollars. So she was great. There were some other women in it. They had very minor parts. Oh, I forgot Robert De Niro was in this thing. Of course. How could we forget that? Yeah, he was Al Capone. That's silly. <laughs> Billy Drago. And we both knew we had seen his face. I still don't know where I've seen his face from, but he does have a connection to your girlfriend, Alyssa Milano. Yes, yes, I believe he does. I had remembered correctly. I had watched all the seasons of Charm. And yes, he plays the demon Barbus, the demon of fear. And we just shockingly saw that he died not too long ago, four years ago, 2019. He was 73 years old. That's pretty young. He was married from 1980 until 2012 when his wife died. And he has a couple of children. He has a very distinct face. And yes, it's making me crazy that I don't know where I remember him from. But... In any event, Billy Drago was in this, if you're a Charmed fan, or he was also in. Okay, so that's kind of the notable co-stars of this movie. And as we said, the film really centers around the United States government's 1930 quest to bring down infamous Chicago gangster Al Capone. Correct. Al was laying waste to much of Chicago so that he could really make a ton of money off of prohibition. He was threatening people if they didn't carry his alcohol in their shops and that sort of thing. 
The government took exception to that. It was the heat of prohibition. I think prohibition was passed in 1929. So according to the little caption that they showed on the movie, Al was making a billion dollars a year just in Chicago off of his prohibition enterprise. (laughs) I'm going to post something on Instagram showing a side-by-side of Robert De Niro dressed up as Al Capone plus the actual Al Capone, and then a second side-by-side of the actual Elliot Ness and Kevin Costner made up as Elliot Ness, and we'll see who wore it better. Okay. That sounds like a plan. I think it'll be fun to see what people think. I think we did realize that... The I have re- my opinion. Right. What's and your K- opinion? Kate has her opinion about whether Kevin Costner really looked sort of like Elliot Ness... I feel that she might be right. It, he didn't totally. I think the main thing was that they gave him what I have come to think of as Kevin Costner hair. He had that kind <laughs> of swoop in the front. Right. Uh, a beautiful short haircut, but he has that kind of beautiful swoop to his, his hair in the front. And Elliot Ness actually had a part right down the middle of his hair, and his hair was combed out to both sides. So... No swoop for poor Elliot. Well, they should have known to part Kevin Costner's hair properly. For, come on. Exactly. I don't know who was in charge of... It all comes down to the hair. The hair on this, but they could have just looked at a picture of Elliot Ness and said, <laughs> oh, no swoop today, Kevin. <laughs> the other thing I do want to mention is that the costumer for this was none other than Armani. And Armani cuts a nice suit. I mean, I don't care which one of them was wearing it, and they blasted the hell out of some Armani suits. There was blood everywhere in this movie. Yes. But dang, they all looked good in Armani. (laughs) And there were all different body types, too. There were, like, very tall, thin people, very short people, pudgy people. Amazing. Exactly. They all looked great. So way to go, Armani. Are, are, you, are you fitting me for Armani in your head now? I think you could look quite sharp in an oh. Armani suit. I don't want to have to pay for an Armani suit. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if any of your listeners uh, want to par with some money, Kate could use some <laughs> to get me that Armani. But uh... <laughs> That's probably not what I'd do with it. <laughs> Student loans to pay off. Uh, student loans, student loans, whatever, whatever. I know, that's right. You know, that comes and goes, but Armani is forever. <laughs> All right, well, as we did mention, one person in this film earned an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Who was that? Sean Connery. Interestingly, it was his only Oscar. Correct. I find that surprising. And doubly interesting, he is the first Scottish person to ever win an Oscar. And this was 1986, 1987. There's a little trivia for you. It took until 1987 for a Scottish person to win an Oscar. Right. And And he did it playing an Irishman. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) And he was no spring chicken in this movie. No, I don't think so. He was already well past his James Bond years. And uh, he looked good, though. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty spry, I have to say. I, yes. He's been gone quite a while. I think he died, geez, a long time ago. But at least back in the 80s, he still had it. Yes. 
One of the things that you looked up, Greg, was how accurate this movie was in terms of the actual history. This was an actual event that happened. Correct. The government did go after Al Capone, and the best they could do was nail him on tax evasion. But that doesn't really make a two-hour movie. So what's wrong here, Greg? All right. So I looked it up, and according to the Google, while the film is based on historic events... Most of the film is inaccurate or fictional. The raid at the Canadian-U.S. border never happened, and neither did the courthouse or railway station shootouts. Ness did not kill Nitty? Yes, so Nitty is one of Al Capone's like most important hired guns. Mm-hmm. He, he'll kill anybody for right. a buck. And in the movie, Elliot Ness kills him. Right, but actually in real life, he died by suicide in 1943. Oh. Twelve years after the trial. So this film covers 1930 to 1931. And in the movie, actually this is probably the one guy that didn't get shot. Ness throws him off a building. Correct. Well, at least... uh, Proving that. That is true. That is true. I mean, they have to take, I guess, some poetic license with this thing. Of course. Of course. I mean, just like this wasn't a book they were basing off, they were basing off historic events, but especially with even books that they create into movies, you're going to run into where they have to modify certain things to fit it into the movie. And I just Googled this up, and according to Wikipedia, there were actually six untouchables. However, in the movie, there were only four. Correct. So it was Kevin Costner, Sean Connery, Andy Garcia, and Charles Martin Smith, who frankly was adorable. He had these big owly glasses on that took up half his face. He was jazzed to the max about doing taxes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do not have a passion for anything in my life the way that guy went on about tax returns. I, I guess you have to be if you're an accountant. I guess so. <laughs> and you work for the government. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have a passion like that? Uh, not quite like that, but I... I've I don't had... even feel that good about you. <gasps> <laughs> you heard it from her face. She doesn't feel that way about me, folks. What if I said I felt that way about you? You feel that passionate about me? The way he felt about taxes? I need does. Yes, our cat apparently does feel that way about. But, yeah, oh well. well. I'll just have to live with it. Cuddle up to Alyssa. If you hear this, <laughs> Alyssa. <laughs> Call me. Yes. <laughs> okay, anyhow... What do you think about this genre of movie? Just generally speaking, we don't watch a lot of historical crime dramas. Right, right. Is, I guess, how I personally would call this type of movie. Right, even though it's saying it's a thriller. I know it's more of a passion sort of for Kate, because she she likes listening to more crime stuff than I do, but I definitely like it better than Westerns. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I have been sort of reckoning recently with 
my opinions about true crime as an entertainment genre because I do listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. I'm very into this era of the mob or I at least used to be very into this era of the mob. I'm not so much into the more modern stuff with, you know, Whitey Bulger in Boston and the Gaudis in New York and all that. But this sort of John Dillinger, Al Capone, also this period in history, the Roaring Twenties, leading into the years before World War II and the Great Depression, I find very, very interesting. But then as I listen to true crime more and more, there's a bit of a backlash that has been building for the past couple of years. You know, the people behind the podcast are real people, and these are real tragedies that have impacted their actual lives. I have some suspicions about, in fact, my my mother's death, and I will never prove that in any appreciable way, but I don't think she got sick naturally. When I think about somebody potentially exploiting that to make a lot of money on a podcast and telling her story and our story, I do find it distasteful. However, it does not stop me from listening. So the people that were impacted by this, by and large, are long gone. I don't know if that makes it easier for me to consume. I enjoyed this quite a bit, actually. There was one scene that I felt was a little beyond brutal that I covered my face, which was the baseball bat scene. Mm. I yeah, didn't that was, care for that. That, that, that <laughs> made me a little squeamish myself. Yeah. <laughs> Robert De Niro takes a baseball bat to one of his henchmen, and I did not care for that at all. And didn't just give one blow, was like 10. Yeah, he whacked him pretty good. On the other hand, apart from right where that guy was sitting at a pristine white table, there was no blood anywhere. Yeah, which didn't make any sense. If you're hitting somebody with a baseball bat, there's going to be splatter. I'm not a forensic expert, (laughs) (laughs) but I have watched my fair share of forensic files, and I know that is not an accurate crime scene. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I really enjoyed the film. I wouldn't say that I probably seek these kind of films out. We've already talked about what kind of films we like, but I wouldn't have any problem watching a movie like The Untouchables. Yeah, I too wouldn't really seek this film out, but I think that watching a film like this, you get a rush a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, as they call it, a thriller. I mean, it, it did portray that perfectly fine it was a thriller a lot of action and i will briefly mention as an aside also because i'm a librarian there is an adorable not quite young adult book but older than a children's book called al capone does my shirts and it's about a child who lives on alcatraz their father is like the warden of alcatraz and al capone is working in the laundry there and washes this kid's shirts and does the family's laundry. And it's it's a cute book. I also acquired it by illegal means, if I'm being honest. This is my Al Capone confession. 
Well, well, I don't know about this story, you folks. You do not. There's exactly one person alive today who knows this story. And I will not mention them. My sister. Because I don't want them an accessory if I get busted for this. But many years ago at the National Book Festival, which used to be held down on the National Mall outside before they decided they didn't want the grass to continually get screwed up, the PBS Kids Tent used to have like a big presence. It probably still does. But at this time, we went into the PBS Kids Tent and they were giving books away to children, including the book Al Capone Does My Shirts. And I really wanted this book. So I just waited until the lady's back was turned and she was distracted by a bunch of children. And I took the book and walked out of the tent. And how old were you at this point? I'm not proud of it, but I was probably in my early 30s. And you took a book that belonged to kids. I have since volunteered. I volunteered 10 years at NPR. And I have made multiple contributions financially to PBS that I feel like maybe makes up for the fact that I pinched a $7 paperback book at the National Book Festival that they were giving away anyway. (laughs) Should I call the cops on this one? I think it's a little too late for that. (laughs) $7 book you know what prison to find me at let's put it that way (laughs) I'm doing time with the rest of them so how's that for a (laughs) a story oh boy can you stay married to me after this revelation I don't know this, this this is beyond what I thought of you hey we're now a true crime podcast (laughs) god (laughs) i know you would never in a million years do something like that that is what makes me feel two percent ashamed of what i did only two percent yeah i don't really regret it to be honest because i really wanted that book i read the hell out of that book i enjoyed the book and then i gave the book to someone else to enjoy well maybe we need to make a a new podcast of true confessions of a prison librarian (laughs) what do you think folks come to think of it i just found that book on the shelves at our library in my prison oh and so maybe it's my copy has come back to me and (laughs) found its way what happened to the copy hilarious i gave it away to somebody else who wanted to read it and i don't know where it is after that oh well, interesting. So, you know, yes, one person took it illegitimately, but several people have read it since. I don't think that can be wrong. Okay. I'll justify this anyway. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> well, folks, you can let us know what you think of Kate's caper here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, back to the untouchables anyway. <laughs> I really hope the statute of limitations is passed on an $8 book theft. You said it was 7 Okay, 7 <laughs> It's going up, folks. It's I don't know. probably <laughs> 15 to 20 years ago this happened. We moved to D.C. in 2003. 
So it was probably 19 years ago this happened. Yeah, I'm going to guess the statute of limitations is up. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're in the clear. I think I might be okay. I sure hope so, but I may have to Google that later. <laughs> <laughs> However, it will not stop me from broadcasting this confession to the world. One thing I wanted to touch base with you on, and I'm just thinking about, because we sort of went there a little bit before we get back to parts of this movie, we talked about the, like the true crime podcasts and stuff. In some ways, I was thinking that to maybe release it a little bit and get it off of your chest, actually talking about it on a podcast, doing some investigation, might release some of the stuff you've been thinking about in your head about what happened. Yeah, I think for me the issue is that I would be very afraid of I don't know if it's slander or libel I don't know what the difference is but like for instance the person who I think perpetrated a crime against my mother I could not ever release that individual's name okay you however could, you could always use a pseudonym or something that's like that. true you and I together in the past year and a half have been victims of a crime correct and that I think is going to eventually come to see the light of day and that would make a very interesting podcast in my opinion if emotionally we were up to the task and I think that we could probably get others that have been victims uh, to speak on it um, about it yeah but we might want to wait until that has all played out yes there are multiple investigations ongoing which sounds very official but and we're sorry to be mysterious about it but i think we could potentially make a podcast about that eventually correct so let's get back to our um, man kevin costner. costner in the untouchables and he was the hero of this one a uh, very straight arrow yeah all-american guy Okay, so looking at our new rating scheme here. Yep. Did we finish The Untouchables? Yep, about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yes, it did take us longer than two hours to watch it because we had one kid up and down kind of making... Attempting to negotiate a DoorDash delivery. We had one kid wake up in the middle of it. So... We didn't get to sit down and watch it in two straight hours. It took us probably two and a half. We needed a lunch break, yeah, etc. But we did watch it from start to finish in that one sitting. Correct. What did you think overall of the film? If I didn't know like the exact history as correct, I thought that it really brought to light a time when somebody was heroic and actually brought somebody down i mean i always hear that ellie ness orchestrated getting it all he had a lot of help yeah a huge amount of help and he was afraid to quote unquote break the law in order to get it done and i don't know who it was that actually did it in the movie it was sean connery's character that really sort of told you're going to have to do some stuff to get 
results. Sean Connery was not scared to get his hands dirty. No, no, he wasn't. That's my thinking on the overall film. And we sort of talked about Kevin's part. He is, of course, the main character, Ellie Ness. So one thing I really liked about both in the movie and how factually they brought Al Capone down was that Al Capone never got his hands dirty. He had other people like Frank Nitty to do that for him. I think it was Frank. He raked in the cash and he enjoyed himself with good meals and hot chicks, but he never got his hands dirty. So to be able to bring him down required an interesting solution most of us are very lateral thinkers like Al Capone's guys are you know responsible for this crime wave across the city of Chicago so therefore we need to stop the the crime wave the violent crime but in fact what actually got him brought down was his income tax evasion right I really like it when someone figures out how to turn the system on its ear Mm. and go about things differently. And I have a hard time doing that myself. When I have a problem, I just focus on that problem, and I often don't step back and see, well, maybe I can come around it from the left instead of the right. Right. The way they actually got to him, I found very appealing. Okay, so what you mean is like getting the bookkeeper to say what happened. Yeah, they were never going to pin a murder charge on him. They were never going to pin one of the bombings on him because that wasn't him doing it. He ordered all that stuff, surely, but he wasn't the guy on the street killing people. So I didn't see it when that accuracy thing that I read earlier, but I'm wondering, did that whole thing in the courtroom buying out the jury, did that actually happen? Because that sort of sounds like something else that they would have been able to uh, bring him down on. Let's see. He had a history of doing it. Um, many grand juries refused to indict him. But it probably couldn't be proven that he actually paid off people on the jury. But at least in the movie, they were able to prove that they found the list. Yeah. But it seems like even if it wasn't that jury, he did have a history of jury tampering. Let's say that. Right, and it probably couldn't be proven because he would always have somebody else do it, his bookkeeper or somebody like that. Right, and they showed in the movie, too, like he would threaten people's families. Well, if you know your wife's about to get murdered, if you don't do what Al Capone says, you're probably going to do what Al Capone says, or your father or your child or whoever. Exactly. I really enjoyed the film. I had a small quibble with the music during this scene in which Nitty and Ness are running around on the rooftops before Nitty gets thrown to his death. I thought it was a little bit Magnum P.I., a little bit Miami Vice. It was just, I don't want to argue with Ennio Marcone, who has done a bajillion soundtracks and is like very well known for, for movie soundtracks, but... And in fact, was nominated for an Oscar for this soundtrack. So I guess I am really taking a chance on this one, but I didn't care for the music just in that particular part of the movie. Well, maybe the reason that it sounded like that is maybe it's very similar, but not exact. 
there's a lot of lot of music around like crime dramas and stuff that it's very similar because you get that sort of dramatic music along with it so maybe that's all it is it's that it's it's similar enough that your mind thinks that he and no it just didn't seem it didn't seem 1940s serious it seemed like 80s detective drama serious it didn't fit to me now you okay. didn't seem to have an issue and yana didn't seem to have an issue as you were watching it it just stuck out to me so i'm not going to give it a 10 because i did not like that music in that scene okay so just that that scene that sort of brought it down that notch for you huh at least yeah okay i right. thought that um the look of the movie was fantastic i had a laugh because there was some like language foul language warning and they did say the F word, but they said it about six times in one scene, and then they really didn't say it, but maybe one other time. It was like they used up all their profanity at once. <laughs> right. I guess thinking back to watching it and thinking about the time period that it was supposed to be happening, that maybe I don't know that time period very well, but yeah, it it didn't feel like they really... They really kept correct to the time period, so to speak. I think, like, the clothing, that stuff, I would say it did. But maybe some of the actions that happened and stuff like that. The scenery was beautiful. Now, one thing Yana asked is how the heck Sean Connery was still alive after he got shot, like, 12 times. And... My opinion is that weaponry was a heck of a lot different in 1930 than it is today. And so I think that's probably why. Um, right. But it, it's interesting to hear a 16-year-old say, wait a second, that guy should have been dead 14 shots ago. Well, I thought the same thing. I just didn't voice it at the time. Yeah. I was like, come on. that That's definitely movie thing. He would have been... Well, he needed to die dramatically okay okay and he had some information that needed to be passed on before he could meet his maker hey that could have been what won him his uh oscar on could be we don't know right i mean in movie land it's definitely a movie land killing it's not exactly realistic but and if we look at the u.s canada border raid um i found it a bit unbelievable that four dudes on horseback in a cabin in the middle of an empty field that these homeboys with their guns would not have noticed that there were people creeping around this cabin and riding horses up to them. I found that a little bit suspicious. I suppose you're right on that. But, I mean, in general, people are not observant. I feel like out there. Yeah, but don't you think if you're up to no good, you're going to be a smidge observant? Yeah, you should be. So, yes, that doesn't fit. But I think that overall that really just shows you what people are. That that generally a person is not as observant as one would think they should be. 
when I committed my crime, I was in a crowded space where there were lots of transactions going on. So it was easy to miss a book gone missing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in an empty field attempting to exchange overdue library books with no witnesses. And then suddenly four guys on horseback ride up and I'm like, ah, it's probably nothing. Okay. Okay. All right. Thumbs up or thumbs down for our man, our hero. I think that he portrayed the character he was in. I think he did the best that he could. I don't know. My problem is I don't really know how Elliot Ness really acted. uh, Because I haven't really seen or know much about how he actually moved around, how he... Talk, how he talked how he behaved and, right yeah. exactly so i feel that yes i i give him a thumbs up for portraying what i would have visioned him acting for this movie i felt maybe you didn't but i felt a few times i could sense his newness and nervousness about being in this movie there were a few times I felt like maybe he was just a little bit anxious about what he was doing but that could have been the director sort of unsure or uncertain right right but 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 maybe that was what the director wanted him to do not so much what about his nervousness while doing it. We won't know if he he was nervous or not without actually talking to him. So, Kevin, if you are listening, uh, be nice to know if you were really nervous playing L.A. Ness. And... I mean, this was a big movie with big stars. It does not get bigger than Sean Connery and Robert De Niro. Yeah. Was he in The Godfather? I didn't see The Godfather. I think of that as the ultimate mafia movie. And it seems like most people have seen that. I've never seen it. I don't have any interest in seeing it. No, I I don't think I've seen it either. And I do feel like he was a bit uncertain. I would give him a thumbs up. No question. Okay. But I did feel like you could sense his newness a little bit. And this probably is the biggest budget, biggest star movie he's been in so far. Correct. There are plenty of them coming up, but this may be the biggest budget one that he's really been in. I mean, there were some others, of course, where he was part of it, like The Big Chill or something that had a lot of known actors and actresses in it. But this one, he is the main guy. He's carrying in this movie. and Right. It's kind of a step up, in my opinion. Exactly. Did you feel some sort of way about watching this or while watching this? I was surprised that there were moments of humor in it. I thought it was going to be quite serious, but there were times I actually laughed out loud. Uh, Like after he throws the guy over the roof and then he says, you know, somebody says, where is he? And he's in the car. You know, that was kind of hilarious. Right, right. I think a movie like this needed some of that in there to, to at the least sort of keep the audience 
in, it needed in it. Yeah. Ta- you needed time to breathe while you were watching it because it was pretty brutal. Right, right. Same with the baseball bat scene. I hid my face and I kind of went, <gasps> you know, when I realized what was about to happen, I was like, oh, I don't want to see this. So I felt quite sad when Sean Connery bit it. I felt all the feelings I was supposed to feel. Happy when they nailed out. Yeah, yeah. I feel very similar and I can't disagree with anything that Kate has said. I did not sort of exclaim when the baseball and bat incident happened. What about when the little girl got blown up? Oh, that... That was sad. I knew it was going to happen and I was like, oh God, no. See, so you did feel some kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, I admitted in multiple points in the the movie, I did feel some kind of way. Yeah. Now, would I... Apparently Steppy also felt some kind of way. Would I watch it again? Maybe. Had you ever watched it before? No, I hadn't watched it before. Kate, you said you had watched it once. I watched it, I think, closer to when it came out. I think okay. after Robin Hood, I went on a little bit of a Kevin Costner binge, and this was probably one of the things I watched. But that was 30 years ago, and I haven't seen it since. Got it, got it. I sort of feel like there are so many movies out there that it might be 30 years for me to watch it again myself. <laughs> not to say that it's not a good movie. Yeah. It's just that there's lots of other ones that maybe interest me a little bit more. Yeah, I think if I were flipping through the channels, as we said in the old days, and it was on, I probably would have stopped to check it out. Having watched it again, and I really don't remember it from the first time I saw it, yeah, I don't think I would seek it out. I don't think I would say, oh, remember when we watched The Untouchables? Let's... Let's pop that in tonight and check it out again. Right. But I did think it was a really good movie. Okay. So I think it's ratings time. Yeah. All right. What What's your thoughts, Kate? I think I'm going to go with... Ooh. I'm bouncing between a 7 and an 8. Mm. I don't think anything that... I had a problem with such as that little bit of music was really a huge issue for me. I just didn't totally, I don't know. I loved it. I didn't love it. I really liked it. It kept my attention, but it was not the best movie I've ever seen. And still it does support my hypothesis that Kevin's never been in a bad movie. So I think starting this movie moving forward, because we've seen the garbage (laughs) that he had to go through to start his career. Okay. I think starting here moving forward is when we're going to really see if he's ever made a bad movie. I appreciate that it supports my hypothesis that he hasn't. Yet I enjoyed some of the other ones we've seen a lot more. So I don't want to rate it higher than a couple of those others. So I think I'm going to go with an eight. Okay. Based on what you said, thinking about how high we rated Testament, so you feel like it's not up to that level. Correct. 
And I can't remember now what my new rating for Fandango was, but I would say I enjoyed it a moderately, like basically equal amount as Fandango. Understood. So I'm saying eight. Okay. Final answer. Sounds good, Kate. (laughs) Knowing that the film was not accurate to the actual historic event, I don't think that sways me a heck of a lot because there's so many movies that sort of have a historic event, but it's not completely accurate. That doesn't knock it down very much. I didn't really notice the music issue that Kate did. And I feel like we've got a lot better movies coming. But for Kevin to have this kind of big thing for this next stage of movies that we we're going into, I believe that as I'm giving Kevin a thumbs up for his part, it's an eight. What would you ask him about this movie if you had the chance to ask him a question? That was part of our old system. But I've been trying to think, what would I ask? Would I think my question would be, does he really consider this his breakout role? Which a lot of the things we've read say The Untouchables is his breakout role. Right. But I think some of the earlier movies were his breakout. So I'd like to know where he comes down on that debate. Okay. I sort of feel from what we've watched, his breakout role really, I think, is more the the Silverado's Fandango um, stuff. Yeah, I would point to. And this, maybe what it is about his career is that the Untouchables sort of cemented continued the rise so to speak and maybe a little bit more steep rise with with this i think he was on par with his co-stars in fandango and silverado they were all the same level of famous but here he is leading sean connery and robert de niro correct and so maybe that's why this one pushed him over the top correct that's what i would ask him what would you ask him? We had discussed this, and I I want to ask it, of course. The nervousness that Kate brought up, that she felt she saw in you, Kevin, in The Untouchables, was that more you were directed to do that, or was that truly that you were having some nerves in being in that big a role? And Steppy feels the same. (laughs) All right. Well, what are we watching next? I think we got some baseball coming up, right? Not yet. Oh, shoot. Not I was getting excited about Bull Durham. No Way Out, I believe. Oh, No Way Out. Yes, Gene Hackman. Right. I'm excited about that. Gene Hackman's a great actor. Right. And then we get Bull Durham and then Feel the Dreams. Okay. So have you seen No Way Out? No, I have not. And I have not either. So we will be back next week with a new film, new actors, new everything, but the same Costner. Bye for now. Bye for now. They they say they're going to repeal Prohibition. What will you do then? You go have a drink. The Kevin Costner Project is produced by October 10 Productions. Our theme music is Happy Acoustic Guitar Background Music by Music Unlimited. 
via pixabay.com. Audio clips included under fair use policies in our best accordance with U.S. copyright law. You can find us online at thekevincostnerproject.com or by searching Facebook, Instagram, Twitter X, or TikTok for The Kevin Costner Project. This podcast is not endorsed by Kevin Costner or his agents yet.